Welcome to another episode of The Edge. Today, I'm running free solo. Jay Tilson, he's on an airplane traveling the planet, so just me and one amazing guest. So I'm joined by someone I've known as a customer, as a friend, someone I've partnered with on a journey to secure the network edge. It's Eric Skeens. Eric, welcome to The Edge. Howdy, howdy. Thanks for having me, John. Hey, so... so so every uh, every superhero has an origin story. Uh, let's let's hear about Eric's. How did how did you get into IT, Eric, and and why did you get into IT? Honestly, I um, uh, like every uh, anti-hero. Um, I tried to actually get away from it as much as possible. I did not want to be in IT. Uh, my dad uh, has been in IT since I was a child, a baby. Um, we've had computers in our household forever. And uh, honestly, I fell into IT, uh, as the story goes. I actually wanted to be a French major, and I wanted to spe- uh, teach English in France. That was my, that was my, my goal and my aspiration. Um, and so uh, I fell into it, honestly, uh, by happenstance, uh, although I also believe that everything happens for a reason. Uh, but uh, my, uh, uh, I, I got tired of, uh, I was actually in car sales at the time. And I got burned out in car sales and decided to go into uh, anything else and ended up uh, taking a, a um, effectively a, a, a temp job at a software company, just doing, honestly, I was moving boxes <laughs> um, and uh, moving the inventory. I was supposed to be there for like, uh, I had a whole week, my temp contract was for a week. They had a job for me that was supposedly supposed to take a whole week. I ended up, um, I knocked it out in four hours, not knowing that that was a whole week's worth of work. And uh, they said, you're done. And I said, yeah. They said, you're done for the day? Or are you just like, are you done with the job? And I said, I was like, done with the job. I was like, you have more for me to do? I was like, is that all? And so uh, that's how I got into tech or into corporate. Um, and then I ended up moving into software sales um, and doing enterprise content management uh, and the like. And, and honestly, there's a component in there where I was doing a lot of fax servers, which is oh, so exciting. <laughs> but that's how I that's how I got into tech. And then from there, I moved on from um, there. I was there for about seven or eight years uh, doing back servers and enterprise content management um, technology that hooked into multifunction printers of all things uh, and uh, did that um, at a national level uh, with a lot of large partners in that regard. And uh, then moved on into infrastructure where I got to understand a bit of the phone system world, uh, old school phone systems like Nortel's, uh, um, Option 11s, uh, Meridian's, uh, BCM uh, 50s, and so on and so forth on the north-south side, Avaya, uh, Cisco back in the, uh, in the 5.x days, um, Cisco call manager, uh, doing Microsoft OCS um, that used to look into all the phone systems, and then Microsoft decided to go into the phone business and rolled out Link and back for business, and now everybody knows that it's Teams and kind of that, that evolution, uh, and then a lot of contact center stuff. Um, along with, oddly enough, data center. So um, I remember when the UCF, the Cisco UCF boxes were uh, M1 
the original uh, UCS re release, um, and uh, and then also uh, EMC storage and uh, doing some VMware stuff and so on and so forth, and then telecom, and then eventually um, uh, popped into uh, Three Tree Tech and starting this with Bob. So, what was kind of the background? Uh, so now you're you're at Three Tree, um, and I know that their go-to-market and how they you know, provide solutions to to customers is very different than your traditional channel. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about how traditionally IT is sold? Yeah, traditionally how IT is sold is uh, typically through, most people know it through either a bar model um, or an MSP model if it's delivered as a service. Uh, but typically, you know a bar, a value-added reseller. And, and so when we were, um, when you look at how IT is sold, you usually have some type of middleman that doesn't provide a lot of value. In, a, in the past, it was the way that you bought technology. Um, you know this being a customer, you had a lot of, uh, a lot of partners that you worked with or bars or retailers you worked with that effectively was just a contract vehicle to the technology you wanted. And so you had to go through this middleman that honestly, they, they all they did was nickel and dime you and keep you at at arm's length for reselling because they were trying to keep margin. And so you have this, even if you trusted the individual, you had a little bit of hesitancy because you know they're they've got to build value to keep margin with you and so on and so forth. And so typically that's how most organizations, SMB um, to enterprise, to Fortune 500, uh, those types of organizations have traditionally bought procurement co companies work with them that way and so on and so forth so yeah the v was always the challenge for me uh you know they would come in hey we're a var and i would say well what's your v uh i know you're you're added reseller in terms of the the margin you're trying to add on to the deal but for me it was it was what else are you going to do how are you going to differentiate yourself from the you know 100 other channel partners that are knocking on my door um what have you kind of seen to for companies to kind of maintain that uh, that that strong connection between the customer and uh, you know adding the V in there? Yeah, honestly, it it comes back down to building trust with the customer, um, and that trust comes with building a relationship with them and not just seeing them as another dollar or another transaction. And uh, and. Um, and, and honestly, I, I remember when I was working at Verizon, uh, one of the big carriers, obviously, and uh, selling to you specifically um, when you were over at, uh, over at uh, Columbia Sportswear. And one of the things I realized was in some of the solutions we were providing, it was all commoditized. It took me a second to realize that because, you know, you, you drink the Kool-Aid of the carrier. of We do all the things the best and all those things. And um, I remember working with you, working with um, uh, with Kat, um, and uh, and and just getting a getting kind of like an understanding of like, all right, this is mainly just an exercise in driving costs down, because at the end of the day, whatever carrier, if you're pulling, um, I was when I was selling to you, it was all fit trunking at that point running into your call manager and designing that whole architecture across all the retail stores and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, there are differences between the two products within the carriers or the different products within carriers. It's all commoditized. 
you were looking for dial tones. At the end of the day, it doesn't work. Um, and just watching that navigation and realizing, okay, there are there are mundane or what I call plumbing technology, and those are all they're all necessities. I always refer to it as if you've got a uh, you can buy the prettiest sink, the prettiest toilet, the prettiest bathtubs and fixtures, um, but if you have um, uh, if you have bad plumbing on the back end, you're going to have a pretty. Uh, am I allowed to cuff on here? <laughs> you go right ahead. <laughs> hey, you can have a pretty shitty day, and and pun intended. And uh, and so I just it was one of those things where okay, when we started our organization and bringing value and bringing that V, uh, we quickly realized being a bar or a reseller wasn't going to be that. And so when uh, when we started, that's where we started looking at a different model, and, and that's kind of how we identified that the V traditionally how it's been done wasn't actually a V. I think one of the challenges that uh, IT leaders have is time. Um, there's lots of pressures on them, whether it's coming from below in terms of staffing issues or uh, an outage or, or something they have to, to, to address right away, or it could be coming from above in terms of budget, uh, a, a new project, a new solution that uh, the business needs. Uh, time is, 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 a, is a very precious thing when you're in a leadership role. And one of the results is that you really don't have the ability to go out there and look at the landscape and say, all right, so we need to, for instance, install a ZTNA solution. We've we've done traditional remote access. We've had problems. Maybe there was a breach uh, or, or maybe, you know, overprivileged access was uh, something that was called out in an audit or, or something similar. So they need to go look at a new technology, ZTNA being one of these. Um, the traditional solutions is, you know, you go to your channel partner and they give you a, a list of, of companies and they're all big companies. Um, and, you know, trying to shift, sift through that and then also trying to get an idea of what does the innovation landscape look like. And when I say innovation landscape, traditionally startup um, teams and, and companies out there that are really starting to push the edge, the kind of that next generation of technology. Um, that's always a traditional challenge. And I, I think one of the areas where 3Tree has value is, is doing a lot of that research up front. So can you kind of talk to me about why 3Tree and, and what, uh, what kind of drove you guys to, to kind of look at a new model to work with IT leaders? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, uh, and, and being on the other side, working for a reseller, working for large carrier, working for the actual manufacturer of a specific technology, I had a somewhat of a view into different ways of delivering. And and one of the things as we started three tree, again, I, I stated that we saw from a, a value added reseller perspective that value component was a, a missing component in the way that it was delivered. It was mainly a contract vehicle and you had to play this game of how much margin am I keeping and things of that sort. Um, but that honestly was um, a, a huge uh, factor in why we looked at um, at the way that we do it now, where we have more of a, and honestly, our mission is to empower leaders. And we leverage three different components to do that, or main components, tech scout, tech architect, and tech form. And I'll talk through those in a little bit. But 
when we are looking at being able to deliver the right solutions to organizations, we recognize also the value-added resellers, like you stated, uh, was partnering with large organizations and then throwing a boatload of resources and funding towards these types of partnerships because it increased their discount buying level. And I also noticed that then as a, as a VAR, you're now stuck in these partnerships. You have no way of staying abreast of what's going on in the market, um, identifying disruptors at the A rounds and the B rounds um, where they're, they're moving and shaking. They'll eventually get to you, but it, as a reseller, it's already, everybody already knows about it. Now you're, the only reason you're starting to push these things is because now it's a partnership. You've got a big, big discount component. You're selling based off of how much money can I make off of this? So when we started, said we want to scrap all of that. I wanted to make sure that we had, we weren't encumbered by any partnership because at the end of the day, and a, a, a good friend who um, does a lot of CIO work, both virtually as well as he's been permanent CIO, been a CEO in the tech world for the last 20, 30 years, he's on the East Coast. Um, he always used to tell us, he's like, he's like, just remember guys, technology is six months to stupid. And, and it's kind of a harsh reality to state it that way. Uh, but if you think about it that way, then you know that the hottest technology today in two years, two to five years, is gonna be, yeah, e either they've grown and they've shifted as an organization, and kept up with the times, or they become the technology everybody's replacing with the new technology. And, and so we needed to stay nimble. And in that regard, from a tech scout perspective, where we're identifying disruptive differentiated tech, this becomes really interesting for us and, and somewhat exciting. It keeps, it keeps my team engaged. It keeps my team uh, excited about new things, as well as being able to bring value back to the customer and being a research arm to an extent of identifying these disruptive technologies uh, in the cybersecurity space um, that I, I love you driving into, um, knowing you being on the infrastructure side for so long, even though you always touch security, you're never fully in bed with some security, but now you've got this component where you've got, you've got the understanding of the plumbing aspect, and now you're layering over all of this really exciting, more what I refer to as sexy <laughs> technology. Um, uh, you've got this, you've got these technologies and this ability to kind of just bring that forward. And we now have the ability to look at a lot of Israeli organizations that are coming in. They're the ones that are leading the charge on cybersecurity. Mind you, there are some really interesting technologies that are leading the charge in the US and cybersecurity as well. Um, but we're seeing a lot of it coming out of Israel. I don't know if that helps a bit. So how do you um, how do you how do you kind of vet these these companies out? So uh, again, it goes back to time. If I'm an IT leader, I don't have a lot of time. I don't really have the ability to vet out, you know, startup X, Y, and Z, even though they may be in the same space. Um, what is kind of the method you you and your team go through to kind of identify who's going to be the the hottest technology in six to 12, 12 months down the road? Yeah. Um, this took us a while to figure out, uh, 
we initially came into and fell into the tech scout model. And, and honestly, the tech scout model uh, kind of initially um, was identified by you at one of our events in 2019. Um, and you referred to it as being a Sherpa. Uh, and, and we wanted to use that terminology, but somehow it got out into the, into the community. And everybody started using the term that I, I attest to you as coining is being a tech Sherpa or a Sherpa within the technology industry. Um, and so we were going to lean on that, but one of the components uh, we didn't want to do is look like we were just everybody else. And so tech scout um, and, and kind of what we're doing is scouting out tech. And we do that in um, a couple different ways and it's, it's evolved over time. Um, but identifying if the tech itself meets a need in the market, um, that's huge. Obviously, it's got, it can't just be something exciting. Um, and sometimes it is something exciting that may not have a need now, but you can see that it's coming down the line. There's a lot of identity technology that's in the security space that has, um, that's going to have to reinvent themselves marketing wise in order to get into the identity space because they get confused with other identity technology, which they're not like them. They usually partner with them. Um, but uh, identifying the tech, is it good enough? Doesn't meet a, meet a need. Um, it doesn't need to be bleeding edge, um, but a lot of times it is. Uh, the piece, the two components that we look at, that's the, I would say even more important than the tech component is pre-sales, post-sales. Do they bring the A team to the song and dance? And then do they bring the D team to the deployment uh, or are they bringing the B team? Uh, like I, I'm okay with the B team, but definitely not the C or D team. That's where they fall apart because you can have the coolest idea in the world. And we've seen this over uh, since uh, forever that you can have a great idea, but if you have no way of deploying or executing, who really cares? And then the last piece, so the pre-sales, post-sales, it's really important that we evaluate and we identify those through a lot of conversation. We're sitting down with them, we're sitting down with their customers. Um, the other piece of it is their leadership and their culture. Um, this is super important. And you know this going into leaving, a, leaving the customer side after being there for 20 years, having a great culture within there, exciting culture, obviously, the brand of Columbia is uh, global and having that capability. And walking into another company, you have to figure out, okay, does this culture, is this a company I, I would, I would want to work for? And so that's what we're evaluating because when we look at those companies, if they have a decent culture and leadership that people want to follow, they'll follow them to the ends of the earth and they'll, they'll die on a hill for them and they'll make sure that that product goes out. And so that's actually a very important component that we look at. And it takes us a sec to figure out the culture and the leadership. Um, we have a lot of conversations both at the low levels and at the, at the leadership level. Um, and then the last thing that um, is more of just a vetting of where are they at in their funding process? Are they, are they in stealth? We come across some technologies that are in stealth. Um, we typically are just helping them and empowering them to figure out how they go to market. Um, that's less of us doing like a full push for them. At some point, we want to do a push for them. Um, but a lot of times in stealth, that's not where they're at yet. Um, seated, so um, obviously before their A round, uh, and then A round and B round is typically where we're looking at most technology. Um, once they get the C and D rounds, they're usually 
looking to get acquired or IPOing. Um, and typically our value add starts to wane at that point. So that's usually where we're finding is at that A round, B round perspective. But those are those are the things that those are the things we're doing from evaluation or identifying this technology and what they're doing in the market. So how are you hearing about these companies? Uh, there's so many. I just I know we both attended RSA and it was almost overwhelming uh, the number of vendors and and even startups there. Uh, traditionally, if you're at a VM world, you, there's one hall of solutions. Um, RSA there's there's two halls and and even the hallway is is filled with vendors. So how do you, yeah, exactly. So are you just like walking around at RSA and going, hey, tell me what you got here. And then uh, just kind of making a mental note that I need to go and check on that. Or is there another process that you're using to kind of find out about these companies? Is it is it word of mouth? Uh, or is your, your network has just grown enough that you kind of can start to vet out, uh, you know, this vendor versus this vendor, or, or this space is going to be emerging in six to 12 months? Yes, yes, and yes, if that makes sense. It probably doesn't, but so a lot of times we still attend the customer conferences. I'm not a big fan of partner conferences, but um, conferences where customers are going and finding out about technology, I wanna be in those places. So whether it's RSA, whether it's Black Hat, um, or in the contact center space doing CCW, um or doing uh we haven't really played into the gartner world too much um those are good places to go as well i would recommend them it's just you can you can over conference yourself um to death just make sure that as you're going through identifying those that's how we're identifying some of the tech and and honestly like and you walk you've watched me walk the floor um when i'm at rsa i'm walking the floor for five hours shaking hands asking questions looking at demos, um, sometimes just scan my badge. It seems interesting, but I don't have time, but I wanna see a demo later, contact me please type of thing. Um, so that's one area, it's not the only area. More often than not, it's, uh, it's through different organizations within the industry. So when we're looking, like I indicated in the cybersecurity space, being hooked into the Israeli startup community um, is huge. Uh, being a part of security um, security organizations or cybersecurity organizations, uh, being members within those, whether you're doing InfraGuard, um, they have local chapters everywhere, and that hooks you into some of the more of the threat components left on the technology. But those gives you gives you access to individuals that might have um, abilities to uh, provide you different technologies that are coming out, um, uh, tying in with uh, got some of my team that's tied in with the CISO series, which is a customer-led organization. And so you have the who's who of CISOs sitting in the CISO series, and they're very, they're very private about who they bring in. Um, and they're very, uh, they're, they're, they're very open, but at the same time, you've got to be invited in. That's a great place. Um, uh, and then outside of those or VCs, venture capitalist groups, uh, private equity firms also is where we find these things. And it's, and the whole team is a part of this. Like this isn't just sitting on my shoulders. Everybody's kind of rallying for it. Um, but the last piece is building out your network in the C-suite. 
Um, for the cybersecurity world, we have a network of CISOs that are across the country, everything from Fortune 1000 down to um, SFB, um, and then up into the Fortune 500, Fortune 100 space. We have different CISOs, and they get bombarded by technology on a regular basis. And so when these organizations are bombarding them, they make huge claims of being able to cure cancer. And, and these, these CISOs are like, all right, well, let me look at this. This seems interesting. And some of them have us hooked in as their research arm. Uh, and we've done that as a kind of just a, again, empowering leaders is our mission. And we're willing to do that, um, building relationships. We're doing a lot of things, um, for the hopes at some point to get business because we are a business. But a lot of times it's just our, our mission staying true to that mission of empowering leaders. So they'll pop over a technology and said, hey, 33 Tech is going to evaluate and figure out you state you can cure cancer. They're going to see how do you cure cancer? And so that's where we'll come into the, into the picture, uh, do all of those things from a betting perspective that I indicated earlier. And if they, if they seem um, promising, then we'll bring it back because I'm not bringing any tech or not. We don't have engineers on staff. Um, I'll always make sure everybody knows we are not engineers. We are a sales and marketing arm that is identifying and, and providing a value and building those relationships with these C-suites. Uh, we can go pretty technical, but we're not, none of us are engineers. So we bring it back to whoever sent it to us and say, I think you've got something here. You need to have your team look at it and potentially dive in deeper. Um, so that's usually how we're 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 identifying technology because it's coming from different angles all around. And then sometimes we just have folks that reach out to us directly because we've been doing this disruptive, differentiated space um, for uh, probably the last three to four years. Um, that's kind of now people would know who the hell we are, and sometimes just come to us. And then I've got to figure out whether it is the right technology. So you've identified a, a number of technologies, maybe it's cloud security, maybe it's uh, how to deliver an application, maybe it's um, SSE, SASE, uh, things or, or voiceover. I know you guys do a lot of, of work in the call center space as well. Um, so how do you how do you present? So you, you've vetted this portfolio, you, you have this list of technologies. How do you present that back to leadership? Uh, is it a is it a one on one conversation? Uh, do you do executive forums, uh, roundtables? What what is that? What does that process look like? Yeah, um, it takes on uh, multiple. So in those three pillars of empowering leaders, we have tech scout, tech architect, and we have tech forum. And you kind of uh, hit on that um, hit on that nail is that tech forum component has different aspects as well. So for those specific technologies that are brought to us, uh, we are typically bringing it back straight to that CISO or that CIO or that CTO and um, having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Typically, we have a really good relationship with them. They know, we're, they know we're not pulling their legs. They know that effectively, they're like, if you say it's, if you say it's right, I trust you. And that's, those are those are relationships that are built over time. Um, uh, but from a forum perspective or a tech forum perspective, this is where again we want to bring a value add 
And we have uh, two different types of forums that we put on specifically in, well, three, but I'll talk about two of them. Um, stealth experiences. These are exclusive events that are between 15 and 20 customer representatives allowed to attend. So they're all invite only. Uh, we have a total of probably four to five um, technology partners um, within our portfolio that we bring into there. And then we always have a keynote or a featured speaker, typically from the customer side, um, but every so often we'll have a three-letter agency representative speak on um, speak at the event and talking about specific things on the cybersecurity side. But we have a stealth experience, um, which is the smaller one. And then we have a tech summit, which is our larger ones. And we do two stealth experiences a year and two tech summits a year. Um, and we try to uh, uh, do different technologies within these different ones. And we always theme them. And uh, I, I wanted to create some events or some forums that I'd want to attend because uh, I'm tired of the just the show up and throw up uh, mentality that comes with some, some of these partners or these uh, typically vendors are doing that. They just come and they talk their wares, they talk their products and they tell you all about it, um, but they never talk about a use case. They never, they never talk about a customer story or maybe they do, but it's always heavy on their demo. I don't want to see your product. I want to know, you know what the hell you're doing at an event. And so when we have our speakers talk from a partner perspective, they always know, do not demo, please do not demo. Uh, let's talk about a problem. Because uh, the people in the audience, they have problems. Talk about problems. They can, they can relate to problems. They understand that you know and understand that they have problems and that you solve problems. Then they'll reach out to you or you have the ability to reach out to them. And then you can do your demo, but never at an event. So that's one component. The other piece of it is I, I like to make sure that everything's themed. I want all of my partners to be cohesive um, within those events. And those are a lot of them disruptive partners. And this is our ability to uh, introduce uh, CISOs, CIOs, CTOs that we work with, with the typically the leadership of these partners. And so bringing them into one room, um, whether it's in Portland, whether it's in uh, Southern California, out in Chicago, in Cincinnati, uh, we do things in different places, um, depending on how what that market looks like for us. And um, the other pieces, and you know this is, and you actually gave me the idea for it, is theming the event. The, the first event we did with you, you, you built your talk track as a featured speaker. You were one of our customer keynote featured speakers. Is um, is around uh, usually was around climbing. So you you tailored the technology presentation towards something that people could relate to or that wasn't necessarily technology focused but you could talk about it that's kind of where your sherpa con concept came out of is climbing this mountain and 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 summiting um uh what was it hillary what is it called it was again? everest hillary step yeah the the, the, de yeah, the dead step. zone yeah yeah the dead zone and and so summiting that and relating it back to infrastructure and that was that was the first time that I was like, okay, this makes it interesting. So from then on, we've done very themed events and we've gotten better at doing that. Uh, we had a big Lebowski themed event that you were at. Um, and we try to make it fun because at the end of the day, I, we have a lot of boring shit in our lives. And last thing I need is another event that I have to go to where I'm just smoothing and smiling, shaking hands, kissing babies, type of a thing. 
So I want to make it fun. I want people like, what the hell are they doing? I want that. But also that scene, that anything that we do from a movie perspective does pertain back to the technology. I don't want it just to be a fun thing for fun, fun things sake. I want there to be intent and there's always intent. Um, and then also I get to relive my cult classic movies because I'm a huge movie buff. Yeah, I can say that the events I've attended um, with Rutri have been memorable. I mean, uh, you mentioned the, the big Lebowski and, and uh, white Russians. Uh, actually, I had to watch yeah. the movie before I attended that one. So it had been a long time <laughs> since I'd seen the big Lebowski. Um, you guys did a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, theme as well uh, for one event. Yeah. Um, so, dressed yeah. Up, I, dressed up as Willy Wonka. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and Taylor did a great uh, version of the dude. Not the dude, but the the stranger no, was. The stranger. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah. Sam, Sam, I think Sam Elliott's character. Even exactly. Did the, he did the handlebar mustache. He didn't grow it out though. He, he just he just kind of no, put a didn't. fake one on. No. Now, if he would have grown it out, yeah. that would have been epic. Yeah, that would have been epic. I ended up. I, I don't usually like facial hair, but I ended up. I told my wife, I was like, "Hey, I'm going to grow off my just so that I can have a." Because I was dressed up as the Jesus on the Big Lebowski, um, and uh, wanted to have a goatee, uh, so I ended up growing that out just for that. So um, let's kind of kind of start to round down here. Um, what kind of the, is the future of, of the Tech Scout, and and do you feel like your approach um, is going to force other companies to change their approach? You know, from the traditional channel solution. Here's our you know five top vendors. Uh, here's the solutions we have, uh, but they're not really showing the the innovators in that in their in their repertoire there. Um, do you feel like what Three Tree is doing and some of the differentiators uh, is starting to have an impact on that traditional uh, approach to to how to uh, sell market uh, technology? I do. Um, I, and, and that was effectively the uh, the crux of why Bob and I started the business was we saw that shift or we were starting to see that shift. The one thing that we didn't see is that in the Fortune Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 space, that model wasn't necessarily really known. And so what we wanted to do is take that that mid-market type of a model, this tech scout, because it's not something we we didn't invent this this model. Um, it's a model we borrowed. But we started seeing that shift, and we decided to borrow that whole model and then make it our own and effectively um, take out all of the bad and some of the funky things around registrations with partners and so on and so forth that are going on that in that world um, and just doing good business, um, but being able to still be very nimble and then get the customers closer to those partners. So a lot of times in that reseller market, I've been seeing the stiff arming approach. They're not real partners to the, the value added resellers. The bars aren't real partners back to their, to the manufacturing technology. And so I wanted to shift that. And again, when I talk about empowered leaders, empower leaders, period, not empower leaders to, to make money, not empower leaders to do this, that, and the other thing, power leaders, period. And that's both on the customer side and our partner side. And then also internally within our organization, we've been powering our folks. Um, but that's that's where I'm where I want to be. A, a, that's that value I'm trying to add into there. 
both on the partner side, because I want, I want my partners to be successful, especially the disruptors. So I'm going to make a bet and a bank on them. I want to make sure that I'm bringing them into the market and helping them into the market. And so there's this, there's this component, and that's, that's where we're seeing that shift. And we're seeing at the Fortune, Fortune 500 space right now, it's a little tougher because you've got procurement teams that are still doing the same thing that they've always done. And they've built this contract with uh, these large bars within the industry that are $5 billion, $20 billion organizations that are just fat and happy off of a lot of times support and maintenance contracts. Uh, and then they've got new business that comes in, but their ultimate goal is to peel the sales reps off of making money off of that. And then they make pure profit on these support and maintenance contracts. And so I'm seeing that shift uh, in the C-suite, um, but the next shift is going to be in the procurement side of the house where they're willing to go direct to these partners. And I've seen, I've seen that in a Fortune 100 financial organization um, and they've completely cut out the bars as much as possible so yes i have seen that yeah i think as things become more software oriented and we see this concept and we had a conversation with uh, somebody who i've uh, had a past with sean odell we talked a little bit about how product is being sold from more of a developer perspective where um, they're actually trying out different things, different uh, solutions. Uh, and it could be from very small companies and, you know, seeing how it works. And then um, if it works great, we purchase it. If it doesn't, all right, no, you know, no harm, no foul. And I think as, as beca we become more software oriented and less focused on the hardware, we're going to see more and yeah, more of that. And that makes physical. Exactly. Exactly. You can't touch uh, and, and feel it anymore. So, right, right, yeah, and, and we still want to. We still want to, you know, get it, get involved in that hardware, especially as somebody from a networking background. You, you know, you're still asking. You know, it's still it's still required. I mean, you can't yeah. you can't build an organization and have a building without any delivered. There's always going to be hardware in place. There's no way around that. But that's all commoditized at this juncture. And exactly. for anybody to think that there's a massive amount of value in it, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some of the fun questions. Um, I know you love rum. So uh, what's the what's the latest and greatest? What's the best rum you've had recently? And where? That's a great freaking question. So, um, and you know how much I love rum. Uh, and I've had a lot of rum. Um, over the years, and I've gotten deeper and deeper into it over the last two years. Uh, so last night, I was at the Whiskey Library. So, and I know you know the Whiskey Library. Anybody that doesn't know about the Whiskey Library in Portland, Whiskey Library is the place to go. Uh, it's a member-only uh, location, um, but you have there's ways to get into there. Uh, they have 2,700 bottles of whiskey or all of the alcohol, but uh, 2,700 bottles of alcohol. A lot of it's whiskey, bourbons, and scotches, but they have a massive selection of rums. They have a massive selection of vodkas, tequilas, gins, you name the type of alcohol. They got an amazing cognac that, um, uh, that I had not too long ago, that's $239 a pour um, that I found out yesterday. Oh, yeah, it's pricey. Um, and, uh, um, but from a rum perspective, Last night, I was at the Whiskey Library uh, with a partner, 
and we ended up um, doing some flights and such. And uh, I ended up getting, I always get my rum flight and we get a flight of like three or four. There was one in there that I hadn't had. Uh, and the bartenders know me by first names because I'm a member and all those things. They also know I'm a rum guy. And now they're at a point where they're like, I think you tasted all the rum, but I hadn't. And one of them was plantation. Uh, so there's a uh, rum that's usually in the Caribbean called plantation. They do um, experimental locations. And one of the locations they did 20 years ago, I think it was in, yeah, roughly about 20 years ago, um, was in Fiji of all places. And it was done in, I forget what they, uh, what barrels they used to age it in. Um, but it was amazing. Uh, it was a Fiji version of plantation. It's got a lot of, lot of sweet notes to it, all those things. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's by far right now one of my favorites. So tr traditionally, what kind of rums do you like? So I, rum, there's a lots of var variety of rum, but uh, yeah. are, are there certain certain flavors, certain uh, attributes to a rum that uh, you enjoy more than others? Um, I'm usually, a, like, I like things smooth. Um, same with, like, whiskeys, bourbons, things of that sort. And rum, I usually like smooth, although um, one of the barbacks over at the whiskey library got me into funky rum so these are they they've got they've got really weird bites in the middles of it and there's it's just and it's got a it's got a funky smell almost like a almost like a overripe banana type of a smell um in the in the smell of it and that's that gives it this funk um and so that's kind of where i've uh started to dive into there's a lot of different flavors in it um, but I still go back to um, smooth rums. I really love smooth rums, but the funks have been really fun for me because uh, it changes a lot of the flavor profile. Nice. Um, one yeah. last question, and I would be remiss if I didn't ask it because Jay Tilson will uh, will call me out on it. Um, best vacation uh, with food? Have Have you had one that you can kind of reflect back on and say that was a great vacation and there was a great meal involved in it? And where was it and what did you eat? Yeah, I, I mean, I've had a lot of great vacations with a lot of great food. Um, but I, and this is, it was great in the moment. Um, I, I would imagine that if I ate it like right now, it probably, I'd probably be like, I don't know what I was thinking about this one. So my wife and I went, uh, when we got married uh, many years ago, uh, we went to St. Martin for our honeymoon. Um, out in the Caribbean, and uh, we stayed on the Dutch side. And the, either I hadn't eaten at that point, I can't remember, um, but I remember sitting down for dinner, and we sat down for dinner, and they, I think it was just like steak, and then some like, I would imagine it was like frozen vegetables like that were cooked up. For what some reason, it tasted delicious. And I know this is not too exciting, but it's funny as all get out to me, uh, in the fact that, I remember eating this food and I was like, oh man, this is amazing. My wife is like, frozen vegetables that they just heat up, I think, or steamed up. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought, I was like, whatever it is, it is delicious. And that was just an amazing vacation, just completely relaxed. Loved being out on the island. Uh, obviously, you can see my skin's brown. I love the sun. Um, so soaking up as much of it as possible was always a great time to me. And hanging out and being with my wife is always just the, uh, yeah, that, that, 
that's what I enjoy from a vacation perspective. But the food itself, it wasn't anything like super exciting, uh, but it was delicious in the moment. Nice. Uh, basic food, uh, great scenery, great company that always makes a delicious time. So uh, really want to thank you for uh, coming on the edge. And um, so people want to find out more about uh, Three Tree, find more about Eric Skeens. Uh, where can they go? Um, I'd say go ahead and go to threetreetech.com. Uh, gives you an opportunity to kind of see kind of how we approach things. Um, we're always changing messaging a bit in there and kind of revamping it. Um, but you'll also see where the events are. Uh, you have the ability to go and check out the different events that we're doing. Uh, we try to do those a year in advance, at least from a planning perspective, and then we start putting them up on the website. Um, additionally, you can find me on LinkedIn pretty easily. Um, I know that we also have an Instagram page uh, for 3 Tree Tech that uh, Addy uh, on my marketing team uh, keeps up to date. Um, I'm too old for Instagram. I don't know what to do with it. So. But she keeps it up to date, and you can see uh, pictures from our events where I'm dressed up as the Jesus or dressed up as Willy Wonka or some of the events that are coming down the line. So, But first place you can always go to that will get to you all those different things, retreatcheck.com. Wow, outstanding. Eric, thank you for your time. Enjoy your day. Awesome. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please give The Edge a like and a follow on your favorite podcast service. And also connect with the SSD Forum on LinkedIn. Get all the latest updates and news on the phenom known as the Security Service Edge. <laughs>